Who'd rather be here than Antarctica? I know there's a similarity, but it's great to have you here. It's, it's a little cool. Uh, but uh, I want to welcome you here. If you're new, welcome you also online as you join us uh, for our message this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes as we read your word, <coughs> as we learn truth, Lord God, that you will speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I need prayer this morning because I'm a little nervous. Uh, the last couple of weeks I've spoken about uh, what price is, is the theme that I'm looking at. So I, I talked about what price revival. What price do you put on revival? And we realise that most of us don't value revival highly enough to do something about, to put a price on it. Then I spoke about what price holiness. I was sure I would offend a lot of people by talking about what price holiness. But it didn't happen. Most of you weren't offended. In fact, I think almost all of you weren't offended, which was great. So I thought I'd really try and offend you this week because I want to talk about, I want to talk about what price wealth and every time the pastor talks about money, if, 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 if you're new to church, I haven't spoken on money in five years, maybe six, um, for a long, long time. But I want to talk about money because money's kind of all through the Bible. And let's face it, we all want wealth. Am I right? Put your hand up if you don't want wealth. Right, we all do. We all want to, we don't necessarily want to be wealthy, but we want wealth. We want to have money. It helps us to do the things that we want to do. Now, I'm not going to stand here today begging for money for the church because the church doesn't need it and you shouldn't respond to that sort of begging anyway. What I'm going to talk about is the incredible blessing and opportunity that comes when we honour the Lord with our wealth. Uh, but given that we all of us, every single one of us, do something, uh, those of us who are old enough, we, we either have Centrelink or we have a job or we have something else that we do for money. And let's face it, you know, when you ask the question, what price wealth, some people are prepared to do anything to get it. Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by, by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. So while the world is out there scrapping and fighting for wealth and for prosperity and things and stuff and bigger cars and bigger houses and that sort of stuff, and while some people will sell whatever they have, they'll sell out their integrity, their friends, their marriages, their principles, even their souls for money, I believe God has a, a different way and a better standard, don't you? Because, you know, if, if you are miserable now trying to get wealth, then when you get it, you'll just be a rich, miserable person, if you get it. Because it doesn't change anything. I heard of a rich man who, before he died, he said... He said, I'm going to take my wealth to heaven with me. And he sort of didn't get this right. But he had a suitcase full of gold bars. He thought, this is great. So he said to the butler, he said, can you put it in the attic? attic? And as I go up to heaven, I'll sort of grab it on the way through. And I'll hopefully I'll finish up in heaven with this. Well, as, as chance might have it, he actually did. He, he grabbed that thing on the way through, goes up to heaven. He's standing there talking to St. Peter. St. Peter says, what have you got in the case? He, said, he opens it up very proudly. Look at this. He said, what would you bring a case full of road base up here for? Because in heaven, the, the, you know, the, the, the streets are paved with that stuff. We don't need it, you know. See, our perception of wealth is different. <coughs> God's idea of wealth is different to ours. In God's economy, ask the question, what price wealth? Well, in Psalm 49, verses 16 and 17, it says this. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. And his glory will not go down after him. I heard of two boys sitting on a hill watching a funeral one day in a small town. 
One boy said to the other, whose funeral is it? The other one said, well, that's, a, that's the local millionaire. Really, said the first one, that's incredible. He said, how much did he leave? And the other, other boy said, everything, the whole lot. Everything. Because he could, as much money as he had, he couldn't take it with him. Shrouds don't have pockets. So the truth is, we spend so much time accumulating things that are actually worthless in eternity. We spend so much time trying to get stuff in this world to be comfortable for us and our families that we ignore the fact that in eternity that stuff is, is not... And we don't invest in things that are valuable because we're too busy trying to get all the other stuff. Am I right? The Bible has a lot to say about money, wealth and generosity and prosperity. Uh, missionary Jim Elliott said this, I love this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So let me ask you, first of all, do you see yourself as a steward or as an owner? When we consider wealth, the first question we have to ask about ourselves is, are we a steward or an owner? When Job had everything, he, I mean, Job was a guy who was wealthy, he had family, he had everything else around him, and it was stripped from him, if you read the book of Job in the Bible. But he said this in Job chapter 1, verse 21, after he lost everything, everything that, that we might deem as important, all of his, you know, I don't know what they had back there, not cars, but chariots, all of his homes, all of his wealth, all of his, you know, sheep and cattle, everything else. He said this in Job 1.21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now that is faith. When do you lose everything? A few of us have been there. Job realised that he never really owned anything. He, it was always God's, but that God had blessed him to enable him to steward it for a period of time. So let me tell you today that everything you think you own, everything comes from God. Every dollar you earn comes from God. Everything that you invest in comes from God. It's all down to God and his blessing. Psalm 24 verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. God owns the earth. You know, what are you going to give God that'll make his day? You know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What do you get him, a milking machine? I don't know. You know, what do you get God? He owns everything. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to make wealth. I realise this myself in my own business as an optometrist. I can be the best optometrist with the best gear around, but still people walk in through my door. I can't make them walk in through my door. I can't put a gun to their head and say, you've got to come and see me. They make a choice. It's all in the hands of the Lord. It's not in my ability, it's all in the hands of the Lord. Every dollar you get is a blessing from the Lord. Every dollar you give is God's blessing throwing, flowing through you to another. So if you have great wealth, any wealth at all, great or small, then you have, you have the great privilege of being able to invest in, in the kingdom of God. That's, I think, a really awesome thing. We live in a wealthy country. Even the poor people, they don't know it, but compared to the rest of the world, they are wealthy. We're a wealthy country. Um, you, you know, you're blessed to be a blessing. Our life should be like a river, not a reservoir. Think about that. We're not here to keep all this stuff to ourselves, but to let it flow through us so we can bless others. Some of you are looking uncomfortable. It's all right. Relax. It's okay. Money exists, and you don't have to worry about it. But every time the pastor talks about money, you go, oh, my goodness. Those of you, your first time in church, I knew it. They always ask for money. Someone said to me the other day, why is it when 
The church needs money, they ask you to give, but when I need money, they ask you to pray. I don't have an answer to that, but listen to this. Proverbs 11 verse 24 says this, and this, this is true, I've seen this many times. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Have you noticed that? Generous people, money just seems to follow them around. Stingy people, it doesn't. If you view your money as your money, you're reluctant to give it away. You want to keep as much of it as you can for yourself. By the way, I'm not having an offering at the end of this, so I just thought I'd point that out. <laughs> so so you, can, you can rest easy. Some of you, as you're sitting there, you're on your wallet going, hmm. But if you acknowledge that everything you have is from the Lord and that your future and your prosperity is in his hands, not yours, then you can give as much as he directs without fear because you know he has you in the palm of his hand. He cares for you. He loves you. You don't have to be afraid of being generous. And in my experience, this is what the God's Word teaches. As Martin Luther, the great uh, uh, theologian, once said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. He was German. He didn't mince words. I heard of a little girl who was given $2 coins, and her dad said, okay, one is for the Lord, and the other one you can go and buy lollies with. Well, she trotted off down to the shop, tripped and fell. One of the coins slipped out, went down a drain. She looked up at the Lord and said, sorry, God, you're not getting anything this week. <laughs> because that's how we think, isn't it? But I think that if we put him first, we will see a different result. If you see yourself as a, <coughs> as a steward and not an owner, then you're far closer to the truth about wealth and you find it far easier to be generous. It's easy to give away stuff that's not yours, isn't it? If it's yours, you stop and think, oh, I'm not sure if I can go without that. But if it's someone else's, go for your life. So let me ask you the question, is money evil? Because you'll hear it all the time, people say money is the root of all evil. That is a misquote. That is not, the, not what the Bible says. Let's look at the actual verse. 1 Timothy 6 verses 9 to 10 says this. And, and, and I'm doing 9 so you get a context here. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, <clears throat> into many senseless and harmless, oh, sorry, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. There's the context. Then it says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, when, it's the love of money. When you love money more than God, you open, you open yourself up to all kinds of evil. Money itself is not evil, it's neutral. Money is not evil, it's neutral. But the love of money, if you love your money more than God, it becomes evil. Someone once asked, criticised John Wesley and said, you shouldn't be taking money from pub owners because it's dirty money. And John Wesley said, you give me as much dirty money as you want and I'll show you how clean I can make it. <laughs> and I like that a lot. <laughs> Money's neutral. It's the love of money. You know, it, it, it's the desire for money, the clutching, the fighting, the grasping for money that we see all around us. The spirit behind money is evil. The love of money is evil. So how do you know if you love money more than God? Here's a simple test. What do you think about most? What are you obsessed with? What is it that possesses you? Let me say, you don't have to, you don't have to be rich 
to be obsessed with money. Did you know that? Lots of poor people are really obsessed with money that they don't have. And lots of rich people, they're very offhand about it. They don't really care. So it's not about how rich and poor you are. It's about what is possessing your mind. Martin Luther, again, we're back to the German guy, he said, there are three conversions necessary. The heart, the mind, and the purse. And of these three, it may well be that we moderns, this was written in 14-something, so we moderns find the conversion of the purse the most difficult. And it's true, isn't it? You can say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I give you everything. But when you have to actually put your hand in your pocket, you might say, can I revise that slightly? Because that's, it's a practical expression of how much you love him. Now, Jesus knew about this. There's, there's a, a, a story in Luke chapter 18, verse 22 and on, if you're reading, reading it. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'm a really good guy. I've been keeping all the rules all these rules that you, I've kept all these rules and then he says this what else do, is needed for me to be saved well Jesus looked in his eye and he looked right into his soul and he said you know what the problem is he looked right into his soul he realized the problem was his love of money and so Jesus said this in verse 22 the one thing you still lack sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me and then it says this, but when he heard these things, the ruler became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? It is, on, it is difficult. Do you know why? Because they trust in their wealth. They don't trust in God. And we can all be like that. We can all be like that. Let me ask you a question. Do you have your money or does your money have you? It comes down to whether you see yourself as a steward or whether you're clutching things to yourself to own it. So let me ask you, why is generosity so important? It's important because it opens the floodgates. As a general principle, a generous spirit is blessed by God. The one who waters will himself be watered, it said in Proverbs. Now I'm not preaching you a, a blab to grab it and name it and claim it sort of prosperity message because I don't believe in that stuff but what I do know I'm not preaching give to get I'm preaching give to trust because I know when I bring my wealth to the Lord and just say Lord it's yours have your way he just provides stuff can you attest to that I've really seen that again and again generosity is one more way of, of, of giving things away like being generous with your money but you can be generous with other things as well generosity should pervade your entire life so you can be generous with your time, generous with your spirit, generous with your heart, generous in relationships, emotionally generous and financially generous. You know, let's look at some of the ways that we can give. Now, some of these words are going to be, you'll look at it and you go, oh, that's controversial, I don't care. Like I said, I, I haven't managed to offend anybody yet. And, you know, hopefully you're not going to be too offended by the end of this. But I want to go through some of the suggested ways of giving and you can make your own decision. The first one is called the tithe. Now, there's a bit of controversy about this at the moment because there is a, a, a preacher called Creflo Dollar. Who's heard of him? Great name for a prosperity preacher, by the way. Like, <laughs> you, you, couldn't, you wouldn't believe that, could you? But anyway, but he's saying that tithing's no longer current. It was Old Testament, it's no longer current. That's what he's saying. Let's have a look at it. The tithe is one-tenth. Is, is an arbitrary figure based on Abraham's gift to Melchizedek in Genesis 14. 
He gave him a tenth of everything. Later, Jacob encountered God and then committed... So when Jacob encountered God, he said this in Genesis 28, 22, And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So that's where the, the concept sort of came from. Then in Leviticus 27, it says this, Every tithe of the land, whether of seed or land or fruit of trees, is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. So the people of Israel were under no uh, illusions. The tithe was a part of what they did. They gave one-tenth of their income to the temple and to the Lord. Jesus actually refers to tithing in, in Matthew 23, 23. So we know it existed at the time and we know that uh, he accepted that as normal. But he speaks derogatively of, he says, if, if you're given a tithe and then living the way you want to live, that's not good enough. You hypocrites. But he still mentioned it, so it was still there. So the tithe, folks, is an arbitrary measure, suggesting a suggested amount for giving to the Lord. He could have said 50%, could have said 20 the tithe is 10 Now for you and me, uh, it's, you make your own decision on the tithe. I, I really, it's, it's a bit of a moot point because I think it's a starting point. I don't think it's, I'm not sitting around trying to measure out 10% and hope to get by. I think that's just minimum for me. But, you know, you can make your own decision. However, the tithing concept was specifically targeted in the book of Malachi. Because at, at the time, in the book of Malachi, people had grown slack in their giving. They weren't giving uh, the best. They were giving the worst of their flocks and everything else. And so God actually targeted tithing in Malachi. Now, if you look through the Bible, there is, there is never, pretty much never a time when, when God says, it's a good idea to test me. In fact, many times he says, it's a really bad idea to test me. But the one time that I know of is in the book of Malachi where God says, test me. Isn't it interesting? Because people were slack and giving the worthless offerings to God. And so God laid this out. Malachi 3 verse 10, listen to this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more need. That's the test. God said, test, you know, test me on this. So the word for test, the Hebrew word is bahan, which means to examine, scrutinize, try and then prove. So what God is, if we put it in English, if we put it in Australian lingo, right? I think God is saying something along the lines like, give it a go, mate. Give it a go. So he's saying, test me, check it out, give it a go. Now, I know of at least two or three people who have actually come to Christ and the start of their journey was tithing. Because I heard about this concept and they said, wow, that's weird. I wonder if it works. So they gave and, and, and God gave them money back. They went, awesome, that's amazing. And that was part of their journey to actually coming to Christ. So there is something in this. It doesn't say if you're a Christian it works, if you're a Jew it works. It just says this is the challenge. And uh, the only place that I know of, there might be others, but I don't know of anywhere God says test me. And he promises to open the floodgates of blessing. So I recommend if, if he says test me, it's a good idea, don't you think? Good thing to check out. So I don't know what you give uh, at the moment, but um, if you're not giving anything, my suggestion would be give a tenth of whatever you have or whatever income comes into the Lord, try it out. God says, test me. And keep the second tenth and save it. And see what happens over the next, say, three or four months. Because anybody I know who's tried that has seen, it, seen their wealth increase. 
because it's a spiritual principle. The second thing is the offering. You see, you can give your, your 10%, but the offering is a free will offering over and above the required tithe. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Are you cheerful when you give? The church or anywhere else? Many of us are not. Some people give and they say, man, that was going to be McDonald's for lunch, you know. But God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we give, especially when we're not reluctant, but we're actually cheerful about it. In several places in the New Testament, Paul commends churches for their generosity to those less fortunate. And I believe it is a (coughs) biblical mandate for Christians to be generous to others, don't you? We shouldn't be stingy. We should be generous people. Those of you who know me well will realise that if we ever go out to dinner anywhere, I'm usually the first to try and pay. And that's because I want the blessing. I'm selfish. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) I just want to be generous. I think it's a good thing, isn't it? You know, it's a good thing to to just be generous to people and and show them love in that way. And the more generous I am, I haven't got any worries because God's going to bring it in somehow, some way. I don't have to worry about that. I'd rather live in a world of miraculous divine provision than trying to work harder for more dollars, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just love to see God miraculously bless your life all the time? That's what I'm up for. Luke 6, 38 says this. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Let me say that again. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Someone once said, I shovel out, he shovels in, he's got a bigger shovel. I like that. I I really like this verse because I can imagine, you know, with a teaspoon. God, I'm going to give you with a teaspoon. There you go. There's a little bit more for you. And God said, I've got a teaspoon, I'll shovel some back. Okay, I've got a, a, uh, you know, a soup spoon here. I'll shovel some of that back. More right, God, I've got a bucket. Check it out. (laughs) Shovels back with a bucket. I've got a front-end loader. <laughs> you know, I just think you can just trust him on this. I would like to bless people lavishly because God blesses me lavishly. It's just how it is. And remember, Ephesians 3 verse 20, Now to him is able to do more abundantly than we could ever ask or think, according to his power working within us. I can think pretty big. So uh, he, can go, he can go more lavishly beyond that. I'm not afraid of giving. Because I know that I'm in his hands. Now, I'm not advocating giving to get, but giving to trust. just seems the more generous I am, the more blessing flows back my way. The third thing I want to mention about giving is first fruits. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Passover and that sort of stuff. First fruits basically means the first part of the crop, you give it to God. The best of it, you give it to God in the first part. And I figure that now is a great time to do this because it's tax time. Have you noticed that? You probably didn't pick it up in all the COVID stuff, but it's, it, you know, it still exists. Tax still exists. And it's the start of a new financial year. I thought that's a great place to, to, to offer to the Lord your first fruits, don't you think? Because we're starting a new financial year. So part of, <coughs> part of the issue that Malachi had was they were offering the old, the lame, the broken. And the first fruit says, why don't we give the best of what we got first to God? Now, how many of you know 
that if, if, you, if you set out in your, in your weekly income, whatever it is, and you take out rent or, or loan repayments or whatever, and you take out food and you take out petrol and clothes and toiletry and some, some fun money along the way, some sort of, you know, maybe going to the movies or something like that, a bit of chocolate of, a, of an evening. By the time you get to the end of it, you haven't got much left, am I right? So you see, if, if we give God the, the first fruits, he gets the, the first bit, and we live off the rest. But if we live off at first, there's generally nothing there at the end. Am I right? Is it just me? No, it's just me. Thank you. <laughs> Perhaps it's just me. But, but I find if, 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 I, if I give him what's left at the end, there ain't much left there, you know? So I, I finish up just taking a few bucks and maybe throwing it in the, the bag as it goes around. Here's a tip, Lord. There you go. You've done well this week. I always like to give my tithe or, or thereabouts right at the start. I've come out automatically from, from the money that I get because I think it's a really good idea and it stops me spending it. And then I want to give whatever, from whatever is left, I want to be generous to the Lord with what is there. What is this thing about first fruits? If you look at the book of Proverbs, there is a fabulous couple of verses in there. Verse, Proverbs 3 verses 9 to 10. Listen to this. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Not the dregs at the end, the first fruits. Then your barns will be filled to plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So according to this promise, if I prioritise honouring the Lord with my wealth, he'll prioritise overflowing me with blessings. Does that make sense? Am I preaching a give to get doctrine? Not at all. You just honour the Lord and you trust him for what is coming. It's a biblical principle. You can trust, if you can trust God for salvation forever, for all eternity, you can trust him with a few dollars. I mean, it's not much, really. So let me ask you the question, so what? Some of you are saying, oh, Pastor Darren's touting for money, Ignite must be in trouble. We're not. We just did our books. Are we in trouble, Zach? Not at all. We're doing very well. But we're not desperate for money, but I believe this is great soil to plant in, don't you? Because what we're seeing here, we're investing in our community. Stopped and thought about the other day, the, we often talk about Lily House, which is our charity, um, which uh, uh, supports young girls in trouble. And um, we, you know, we, we have uh, Fiona is here, obviously Joe is here, and others from Lily House that volunteer there. So Lily House is a part of us. But over the last couple of years, I would say our church has probably sown about $80,000 into Lily House. That's good, isn't it? We're not keeping it. It's flowing through. This is good soil. I see giving to God not as a loss to me, but as an investment in the kingdom of God. Do you see it that way? Now, talking about investments, if you'd invested $100 in Bitcoin in 2010, now it's only 12 years ago, $100 in Bitcoin in 2010, you know what it would be worth in 2021, it's gone down since, but you know what it would be worth in 2021, your $100? $57,600,000. Now that's an investment. I see giving to God as an investment as well. And, and it's return in the souls of men. What, what price the soul of a man, a man or woman? You know, if we can invest somewhere where people are going to come to know Jesus, I think that's eternal fruit. See, you can, give, you can give in a whole bunch of different places, but money you give to Ignite is not thrown around aimlessly. It doesn't go on my holidays. I just had a holiday. I paid for the lot myself, which 
sucked, but it was good, you know, you know what I mean? But you, your money doesn't go to pay my holiday, or I own my own car, run my own car, phone, you know, mortgage, etc. right? I am the, the, the least paid senior pastor of an equivalent church on the coast. And that's because we are cheapskates at, at Ignite, and we love, everybody who's on staff here is underpaid, because we love them, and they love serving. So I'm telling you, this is good soil. You're not feathering someone's nest. This, this money, the money that is given to Ignite, will retire debt and will help us reach our community. That's where it's going, folks. We're not, you know, this room over here costs, I won't tell you what it costs because it staggered me, but it's a lot of money because they had to do firewalls and all this other sort of stuff through there. So a lot of money is going, but we do it because we love people and we love kids and we want to have a creche in that room. But it all takes money, folks. 2 Corinthians 6, sorry, 9 verse 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It's, a, it, it's the same principle. If you're generous, you get watered as well. But giving is, is not a debt you owe, it's a seed you sow. And if you're going to sow, you can give in a whole bunch of different places, but I would suggest good soil. If you're a farmer, you know, if you've got rocky, horrible soil, it's not really worth sowing in. But if you've got rich, dark, black soil, it's brilliant. And you get a huge return. <coughs> so you can give anywhere. You can give to Vinnie's or UNHCR or Oxfam or any other good cause. But if you want to see God's kingdom advance in our community, I believe this is good soil right here. If you're going to sow... It's good soil. But then you might say to me, but I don't have any money to give. And I know some of you are in that position. And I understand that. How does God view your giving? He doesn't see the dollar value. He sees the sacrifice. Can you honestly say with David in 2 Samuel 24, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. So I believe if you have a generous spirit, even if you are not well off, that God sees that. One of the most powerful and beautiful passages that talks about giving refers to, to Jesus who sat quietly watching people come and put their offering in the, in the offering container. And he sat and observed for a while. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 12. Listen to this. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums of money. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him. He was so excited about this, Jesus. He called his disciples over and he said this, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had in there, all she had to live on. This was a little old lady with faith. And I love that because God's not looking at the figure you're, you're putting in. He's looking at the heart behind it. Do you really want to give it all to him? What price wealth? Hand it over to him and find out. Oswald Chambers said, with Christ, it's not how much we give, but what we do not give. That is the real test. So after watching all the rich people put their money in, Jesus highlighted this little widow. Because she, he said, out of her poverty, she's put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So Jesus is not counting the dollars. He's looking for the heart. It's encouraging for those of us who are not millionaires or billionaires. You've got to be a billionaire to even rank these days. Isn't that weird? If you're a millionaire, they go, oh, yeah, you know, take a number. Not me, but some others say, take a number, you know. <laughs> so let me ask you, what price, <coughs> what price do we put on gaining wealth? 
The answer should be everything. Give everything to him and trust him with the solution. Look, if you are struggling at the moment, I'm not downplaying that at all, but I'm telling you there is a God you can trust. We see miracles in this church all the time. Miracles of healing, miracles of incredible financial provision. We prayed today for you guys and we, we are believing God with you that we will see a miracle. And I'm talking to others who are struggling as well. But Matthew 6, Jesus says this. Listen to what he says and listen to the context of it. This is what he said. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows. Then it says this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. See, that's the plan. If you just seek God all the time, if you're not stingy with your money, you're just generous and you're just seeking God with all of your heart all of the time, you don't have to worry about that stuff because God will provide. God will provide. Put him and his kingdom first in all you do. Trust him to take care of the rest. So are you truly seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, no matter the cost? You know, the last two weeks we've been committing ourselves to... to you know, paying the price. We said, what price revival? We said, no, we want to pay that price. What price holiness? We want to pay that price. This week I say, what price wealth? And everybody's, yeah, oh, you know, because now it's practical. Now it's, the rubber's really hitting the road. But can you say with David, I will not offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing? So let me finish with this. Are you tipping, tithing, or trusting? Let me ask you today. Are you tipping, tithing, or trusting? Are you giving God whatever is left at the end, chucking him a few bucks? Here's a tip, God, you did good this week. Are you tithing? Are you keeping to the letter of the law and calculating 10% and then saying, is it before tax or after tax? In the hope that you'll get a lower number. right? Or are you just trusting him and being generous and believing him for a return of 30, 60, 100 fold? I know for a fact in my life you cannot outgive God. You just can't. There's a time, as I mentioned before, there's a time in, in, in our life when Fiona and I, uh, when we lost everything, we'd worked very hard for many years, we'd accumulated a lot of wealth, and we lost it all in, the, in, the, in a space of a couple of months. And in the middle of that, we had people say to us, we just started Lily House not long before. Oh, well, you better, better give that up. You've got to concentrate on just you know, keeping your head above water. And we made a conscious decision not to give up Lily House. And now today, Lily House is prospering because we made that decision not to do it. Not to give up on that dream. Not to, start, not to take our eyes off Christ and look at our circumstances, but to keep believing and to keep having a generous spirit. The bottom line is that God loves a cheerful giver who focuses not on giving the least they can to get the... You know, I talked last week about bargaining with God. You know, when you sort of say, well, God, if I give you my tithe, is that before or after tax? Because I'm pretty, if it's after tax, it's a little bit more. But, but you're trying to bargain with God. Why don't you just give him the lot and let him sort it out? Can you trust God no matter what? Philippians 4 verse 19, Paul proclaims this, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God supplies our needs, not our greeds. And God doesn't need your money. He's, not, he's looking for your heart, not your money. Does that make sense? So I hope I'm not terribly offending you today talking about money, because it's not really about money, it's about the heart. He is looking 
at your heart. In fact, 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9, I love this verse. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I believe God is actively looking this morning at our hearts and saying, are you fully committed to him? Let me wrap it up with a, a modern version of the widow's might. Uh, this is a, a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a story with a, a serious challenge at the end. What's the largest church in the world? Anybody? Yeah. Yido Full Gospel Church in South Korea has almost a million members. And they began, folks, when they started to build their, their auditorium, they began in the midst of an economic crisis. And let me read for you the words of Pastor David Yongi Cho. And he says this. So listen to this. It's a beautiful story. When our present church was being built in 1973, the dollar was devalued and we entered into a deep recession. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? To, to today. Our people lost their jobs and our income went down. Having signed contracts and experienced an unprecedented increase in building cost, does that sound familiar? I sat in my unfinished church building wishing the still bare rafters would just fall on me. He was so depressed. One evening while we were meeting to pray on the ground floor of our unfinished church, several hundred joined me in prayer. <coughs> An old woman walked slowly in my direction and as she approached the platform I noticed her, her eyes were filling with tears. She bowed and she said, Pastor, I want to give these items to you so that you may sell them for a few pennies to help with our building fund. I looked down and in her hands were an old rice bowl and a pair of chopsticks. I said to her sister, I can't take these necessities from you. And she said this, but pastor, I'm an old woman. I have nothing of value to give to my Lord, yet God has graciously saved me. These items are the only things in the world I possess. She exclaimed, tears now flowing freely down her wrinkled cheeks. You must let me give these to Jesus. I can eat my rice on old newspapers with my hands to feed myself until I go to be with him. I know I will die soon, so I don't want to meet Jesus without giving him something on this earth. As she finished speaking, everyone there began to weep openly. The Holy Spirit's presence filled the place and we all began to pray in the Spirit. And a businessman in the back of the group was deeply moved and said, Pastor Cho, I want to buy that rice bowl and chopsticks for $1,000. And with that, everyone started, started to pledge their possessions. My wife and I sold our small home and gave the money to the church. This spirit of giving saved us from financial ruin. Isn't that an incredible story? And I believe God's speaking to us today. I want to get practical. And so, not today, but next week, I want to give a first fruits offering to the Lord. The first fruits of the financial year. And I want to give it generously. Is anyone with me? If not, it's going to be a real small offering. <laughs> this is not instead of our normal offering. I want to receive a special offering next week. Because I think if we honour the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of all our crops, then our barns will be filled to overflowing and our vats will brim over with new wine. Don't you? I believe that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these other things are going to be added to us. 
And I reckon this is a great time to be trusting God. When things are bleak, when things are difficult, I want to bring what I have to the table and give it to him. Are you with me? Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not pushing any barrow here. We are not desperate for your money. I just believe it's a great time to honour the Lord with our wealth, don't you? So I would encourage you this week to go home and to pray about what you will bring to the table next week. You can write it out as a pledge. You don't have to have it in cash or something like that. But I want to give. I want to give generously to the work of the Lord. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Now, I'm not going to be checking to see, you know, I'm not going to be tracking to see how much you give. I don't care. It's between you and God. But I want to be a generous person. This is just me. If you don't not come to church next week because you don't want to get wrapped up in this giving stuff, all right? I'm just saying. Come anyway and don't give anything. If that's, where, if that's between you and God, if God's okay with that, that's fine. But I'm asking you this week, and those of you online, go away and seek the Lord and, and say, God, what do you want me to give? Because I am confident that God is going to, to bring in an incredible offering that will allow us to continue to minister powerfully right throughout our community. I believe that. For me, I thought just as a, this is just a rule of thumb. This is just something that I thought about. But as a first fruits offering, what's a first fruits offering? You give the first. So what I was thinking it would be a really good idea for us to pledge a week's income to this offering, the first week of the financial year. But then I thought, that's not enough. So I'm not going to tell you how much we're going to give, but Fiona and I have decided we'll give two weeks. That's just us. You can do whatever you want. Won't tell you how much it is. I could be really poor and it might be 20 cents or something, but you never know. But I want to encourage you to seek God and ask him, because this is good soil. And we are giving a lot to Lily House and other places, reaching our community with Pastor Leanne, you know, going into the highways and boats. This is good soil. And I don't want you to miss out on the blessing of honouring God because it's really cool. We can trust him. George Mueller, he was a man, a poor man who oversaw orphanages, caring for thousands of orphans, wrote this. When I surrendered myself totally to God, the love of money was gone. The love of a home was gone. The affection of wealth was gone. The love of worldly things was gone. God has become my everything. I found everything in him. There is nothing else I wanted. I, I stayed with him, a happy man, a very happy man, seeking only to accomplish the things of God. That was his testimony. I'm asking you to pray and, 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 and go away and, and just ask God. So that is the first message really on giving that I've preached in many a year. But it's probably a little bit overdue. I think that if we have a generous spirit, God will sort it out, don't you? Because what is behind it from this church is not trying to grasp money, but trying to give. And the more you give, the more the church can give, the more we will give. Let's just pray together for a few minutes. Father, I know this is a tough message when we talk about money. But Lord, we want to we just open our hearts to you right now. And say so it's not just about money. As we said, it's the spirit behind it. Lord, we want to give you everything. We want to give everything we have to you, everything we own, every dream we have, everything we long for. If you have a dream in your heart, the best way to make that happen is to give it to the Lord. If you have a desire in your heart, the best way to make that happen is to give it to the Lord. 
Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be generous, not just with finances, but with our time, with our energy, with our love one for another. Because if we seek you and your kingdom first, then everything else gets added along the way. We don't have to worry. We can just trust you. Lord, we commit our hearts to you because we want to make a difference in this world. We want to make a difference in our families, in our homes, for our loved ones. Eternity hangs in the balance. We ask, Lord, that we'll be the ones that put our hand up and say, here am I, Lord, choose me. Pick me. I want to be the one that serves you. So we give you the praise and glory this morning. And we say, what price wealth? Just everything. Just give it all to him and let him sort it out. And we commit our lives, our homes, our families, our finances, our bank accounts, our kids, our grandkids, our parents, our friends. We commit them to you and say, Lord, touch them. Make a difference, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.